Welcome to Progressive Opinions of Color, a podcast that takes a great space for people of color in conversations about economics and politics. I'm your host, Nancy Wu, and today I have a very exciting announcement. So our podcast will actually be joined by a new co-host. So going forward, it will be me, Nancy, and Sonia, who had an episode earlier on Indian American families and political views dating and relationships as a person of color, et cetera. It's a really great episode. Make sure to check it out. Yeah, going forward, we're going to have um, episodes where I interview people and Sonia interviews people and we both interview people. Um, and I'm really, really excited. We're going to have a lot of new content um, coming up. So without further ado, let me introduce Sonia. Hi, everyone. I'm Sonia. I'm super excited to be joining as a co-host with such a good friend of mine. Um, I'm hoping that together me and Nancy can bring a refreshing lens to everything going on in this world right now from politics to policy to pop culture. And I just think it's going to be really fun trying to build an inclusive community and get to discuss ideas and experiences that aren't always covered in the mainstream media. A little background on myself. I'm an Indian American woman currently living in New York City. Um, I graduated NYU with a degree in economics and started my professional career in economic consulting, which is actually where Nancy and I first met. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you remember like the first day that we met? Yeah. I remember you told me your first impression of me was that I was mean or like a bitch or something. <laughs> well, okay. So this, this is my memory of the first time meeting you. It was training week and they had made us come in on like a Sunday or something, which was absurd. Oh, yeah. And we were in one of those like public speaking seminars where they have this guest trainer come in and we had to do things like, like scream across the room to learn how to project, record your partner on your phone, weird things like that. And then I remember seeing you and you were just, you looked so put together that I was like, oh my God. But then like we started talking later that day and then I feel like We've been super close ever since. Yeah, that was great. I love that. Like one thing I really liked about that company was that like they had so many women and women of color and like um, immigrant women as like the the big dogs, whatever they're called, like vice presidents yeah. or something. Or, yeah, like, I think, they were so I think cool. we started calling them like managing directors just to sound more financy. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, yeah, I would say in terms great. of senior management, it was 50-50. Those were good times. Oh my gosh. So what else are you interested in, Sonia? Sonia has like, you're like, have a really strong background in economics. What are you doing now? And like, what do you do for fun? Yeah. So I think I was with that firm for like three to four years. And then I quit my job there, moved to Madrid and basically just took a personal sabbatical. Um, I love to explore. I love to go to different communities, make new friends, just new places. So I spent about eight months in Europe. Now came back. I spent a bit of time in the Bay Area just to check out the tech scene there and then came back to New York. I'm now in management consulting as my full-time job. Um, As my part-time job, I would say I'm an avid content consumer. I've always been a huge news junkie. I love listening to podcasts, um, reading, watching Netflix, all of that um, also really, really passionate about politics, social justice, holistic wellness, um, and overall just embracing progressive and diverse thinking in all of these spaces. 
wait, I'm so excited. We're going to like be able to cover so many more topics now, especially because Sonia knows so much more about pop culture and stuff <laughs> that I do. Like you introduced me to The Weeknd because we had, <laughs> we were playing trivia at like our first company years ago because economists freaking love trivia for some reason. And we so do. Nancy we was really like do. The Weeknd. And The Weeknd was already famous for like a decade or whatever at that point. And I was like tweeting about how the W-E-E-K-E-N-D <laughs> is a band. And so you, you were like, weekend without the And I'm like, oh. Oh my gosh. Now all I do is listen to Gen Z artists. Like Gen, Gen Z kids have it really good. <laughs> it's, it's really the only thing on the Spotify charts. And I'm so lazy that that's the only way that I find music now. So we're filming this ahead of time, of course. And as of filming, we the inauguration was just yesterday. So... I wanted to talk a bit about our thoughts on that. So I woke up super excited inauguration morning. I was like, oh my God, the relief I'm feeling is overwhelming. And then one of the first headlines I see on CNN that morning is like, Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell join in prayer. And I was like, okay, so to be clear, like I'm not anti-religion. I am anti hanging out with Mitch McConnell. And like, I get that they're all coworkers. They are, some of them are friends and they have to kind of get along to get the job done. But it was kind of just this reminder of like, Joe, are you with us or are you with them? And by with them, I mean the insanely witch, the politicians, everyone who benefits from the current status quo and the current power structures. So I think it was just kind of this reminder that it's going to be a pretty moderate administration like, I'm extremely grateful and appreciative of Biden and Kamala Harris's service to this nation for the next four years and relieving us of Trump. But I think it's going to be a lot of work for people who want to see actual progressive change. So that, that was kind of my initial reaction. What about you? That's so true. Mine is similar. I was a, kind of angry and annoyed during the inauguration because I know it also really sunk in for me that Biden is really going to be focusing on the divisive country. Like he said that so many times, his main goal is to unify, unify, unify. And to me, that just sounds like the automatic translation in my head is, okay, so we're going to hand it to Republicans. Because what else does that mean? At least afterwards, Gorman. when they brought out like Amanda Gorman, that was amazing. She was like, amazing but still she like went to harvard and like you know democrats love very elite people of color <laughs> who are successful yeah. and do well in ways that like the country itself is not very representative of but still i'm glad they picked like a beautiful and strong hardcore badass woman of color as the inauguration poet but yeah i just feel like the democratic party and joe biden especially is like still pretty out of touch with America overall. Um, I didn't really have, I don't have much ex expectations going in because it is Biden and like, it's more so that he's not Trump that I'm excited rather than like the fact that he's Joe Biden. Yeah. I think we're just gonna, we're happy now, but it's going to be a hard four or however many years ahead for progressive. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I missed his speech because I got hungry and I wanted to make lunch, but this morning I listened to the dailies breakdown of it. And they basically pointed out, like, he didn't point fingers and he didn't denounce anyone or anything that has happened over the past four years. Um, and it was kind of like, a, let's let the past be the past. I mean, you could say that if we were actually making huge strides and we were saying, all right, fine, we're getting there. But 
we haven't yet. I mean, with the Senate and the House both blue now, it's going to be so much easier for him to actually make some policy changes if he wants to. But like this whole, we're not going to blame anyone. We're not going to talk shit about Trump. Uh, I'm worried. (laughs) I mean, what I really think we all know the Democrats need to do is like convince Republicans of lower and middle class that they are the party for them, right? Like Democrats are trying to help both sides, whereas Republicans are only trying to help a very specific few in this country. So it shouldn't be that hard, but for some reason it is. Yeah. The misinformation among a lot of lower middle class Republicans to make them Republican still doesn't make sense to me because it's like, yeah, Democrats in theory are supposed to be the party that fights for everyone's rights, redistributes wealth. But I think the issue is just that people are racist. People are always like, oh, fiscally, let's have these issues. But I still like am socially conservative. And it's like even my mom was like, oh, the reason I don't like Democrats is because they would open up bathrooms that welcome like any gender into the same bathroom. And I'm like, so that's the policy you're voting on? She was like, well, yeah, this is before like she came onto Biden's side. But, you know, like people vote like that where one social policy kind of like defines everything for them. That's such a good point. And I think like, yeah, one of the things Biden said in his speech was like treat each other with dignity, but like, it's really hard to treat someone with dignity when they don't give you the same back. Right. And I'm speaking specifically about Republicans who don't think women should have control over their own bodies or that people should be able to choose who they want to marry or who just completely deny that like racism exists. And at the same time too, I understand like that's where the division comes from because I watched this movie. It was a documentary about people who live in Appalachia. It was called like Hillbilly or something. Hillbilly uh, uh No, it was just called Hillbilly. Oh, just, okay. And it was about like Hillbillies and like what they're, why they started voting for Trump when they used to all be Democrats who voted for Obama And it was literally just because Hillary Clinton like stepped in and was like, oh yeah, people who support Trump are dumb. We don't care about them. And that just kind of changed it for a lot of people that Democrats seem to not be on their side. Well, this is another thing I found interesting about the inauguration. Biden kept talking about truth. The idea of like truth versus lies was something that came up a lot and destructs the position between Trump being lies and Democrats being, or Biden being truth. I get that Trump like undermined truth and facts and literally spread false information so many times and that's fucked up but i think this like let's come together and sing kumbaya kind of thing is like also not really getting anywhere like the whole inauguration there wasn't anything that was concrete being said and i guess it's supposed to be more ceremonial than policy oriented but i don't know what truth there is in in not saying anything bad about trump and not denouncing like white supremacy and not like actively calling out shit that is bad I think we have to do more still to bring back like tr- the word truth, the respect that it deserves. Yeah. I want there to be more real people serving the leadership of the Democratic Party who are like like AOC. I feel like AOC represents truth quite well. Like mm-hmm. she'll fuck up a stat and admit it, and that's cool. She doesn't like bullshit around with generalizations that don't mean anything. We'll see how much Biden does. We'll see because I think I'm just like. Expecting the worst, so I'm not super disappointed. What else? Oh, so JLo's performance. I I really just wanted to call out that I don't think 
JLo should have even been on stage there. Like, I think her offer should have been rescinded because she's been going around the internet claiming that she's never gotten Botox and all she's done to look that way is use olive oil and SPF on her face. Every dermatologist is like, that's absolutely not true. And I think when you're a celebrity with that much power and you're basically the person setting the beauty standards for society, you have a huge responsibility to be transparent. Oh, also her beauty line just came out. And that's why she was trying to say like, oh, I look like this because I put this stuff on my face, not because I got Botox. So it was also for her own profit that she was lying. Well, this sounds like some capitalism. (laughs) 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 Like JLo got that publicity. There was probably a lot of contracts out there with potential celebrities. And JLo was like, hey, I'll take like a $2 million price cut um, discount if you invite me because it's marketing for my for my new brand. Yeah. So that was a disappointment, but it was nice to see everyone else there. Like the Obamas looked great. Everyone looked great. So that was fun. Bernie looked so not great. Who? <laughs> Hilarious. Bernie Sanders. Oh my God. <laughs> Every single meme going around with Bernie Sanders, like sitting in a chair with his arms crossed and his like, I don't give a fuck outfit photoshopped into every single movie th- scene like out there i was laughing so hard <laughs> he was literally carrying like a ups envelope that's how you know he's one of us that's why i wanted bernie in office <laughs> like he wasn't going to the after party after he was going to ups so <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh, i love yeah, him <laughs> so that was the inauguration but i think since yesterday afternoon, he's gotten quite a bit done. Um, it seems like they really had a plan to get to action really quickly. So we can go through some of the stuff he's done. He signed an order to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, oh, and did you see the Ted Cruz tweet that I sent you? No. About this? Is this on Instagram? Um, yes, it is absolutely insane. He says, by rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, President Biden indicates he's more interested in the views of the citizens of Paris than in the jobs of the citizens of Pittsburgh. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I have no idea if he doesn't know what the Paris Climate Agreement is or if this is like a Trump marketing approach where he knows what it is, but he thinks this is going to be like a great tweet for his base, who has no idea what it is. Trump brought that into politics for a lot of Ted Cruz's out there where you can really just say shit and you can take a hit and sound dumb, but like your followers aren't going to care because they're going to believe it. And he right. it up. his followers are not going to see all the tweet replies um, of people calling him an idiot. Like, I think AOC responded. I think Rashida Tlaib responded. And they basically were saying the same thing. Like, you're dumb. So. And I sent this to our mutual friend who, um, unfortunately, we can't name because he works in a federal capacity where he has to stay impartial. But he was saying that, you know, just weeks ago, Cruz was trying to invalidate the votes of Pittsburgh. So he really doesn't give a fuck about Pittsburgh is the bottom line here. That's a great point. Okay, well, thank God we're back on the Paris Climate Agreement. That's pretty cool that he, like, did so many things. What else did he sign? So he's 
halted Trump's process of exiting the World Health Organization. He has revoked the permit granted to the Keystone XL pipeline. And I looked this up because I actually didn't know too much about this, but they are terrible for the environment. They regularly cause spills and accidents. They pose a huge threat to a lot of the waterways that they run through. And they're usually on the homes of indigenous peoples. So those people most affected by this. But this was starting in Canada and they've already started building it up out there. So I think Trudeau's a little screwed. Oh, wow. So that will be interesting. Um, He's ended the funds that were being diverted to build the Mexican border wall. I had completely forgotten that that was even happening. He's ended the travel ban on some of the majority Muslim countries. And then he's extended the student loan payment pause through September. I know you guys covered student loans a little bit in your in your last podcast. Was there anything relevant to like the Biden administration and things they wanted to do there? Well, that was more so talking about how like canceling student loan debt wouldn't address the underlying issue that if you can't afford to pay your student loan debt payment, then you definitely can't afford your mortgage or your rent or your car either. It's like canceling that wouldn't solve the problem of making people's lives economically empowered or making people's lives easier like okay i have a couple of like follow-up questions for you maybe dumb questions but if we cancel these student loans it's only on existing debt right so everyone who takes out next year and the year after that and the year after that we're gonna have to figure something else out for them yeah that's what we couldn't really understand because that makes no sense (laughs) Right. Well, with Biden's like pausing student loan debt payment, that makes sense because it's kind of like the rent moratorium where it's yeah. not going to pay. But even yeah. then, that's literally just kicking the can down the street, whatever that metaphor yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> because what, are you going to like, is interest going to build up? Not paying your debt back until September, is interest going to be paused too? Because otherwise it's just going to be worse. Yeah, yeah. Because I saw that, you know, I think Biden was pushing for 10,000 in forgiveness. And then apparently Schumer was pushing for like 50,000 in forgiveness, which would be awesome. But yeah, I have the question of, okay, but what about the entire future of student loan debt? And then also like, in a way, do you think this enables tuition to keep rising? I think you guys touched on how it's, it's almost predatory lending because People have no idea what they're signing up for at the age of 18. You know, many of these people are not going to get jobs that are going to enable them to make the payments and tuition can keep rising because these loans keep getting doled out. So do we think that like loan forgiveness can have the same effect where, well, okay, people are going to keep taking out loans, hoping in 10 years, there's going to be another forgiveness program. And we're going to see another 50% increase in student tuitions over the next 10 years again. That makes economic sense from the university's perspective because yeah if people can take out loans if they if this policy becomes a precedent then it totally makes sense to increase college tuition college tuition has gone up so much even for state schools in california it's like comparable to private schools now and i'm like first of all it's like why is college tuition so expensive when it's so cheap elsewhere. And also just how come people who do graduate college still can't get jobs that will help them pay off their loan debt? That should be a non-issue if a four-year degree is as valuable as Americans make it seem. Yeah, I know. I would love to like 
do some more research, maybe get some more people on the pod who can talk about this more. But like the fact that tuition has risen at such a higher rate than inflation just doesn't make any sense to me. It's not like the quality of education has gotten better. It's not like the payoff of education has gotten better. Yeah. So, I mean, it just comes back to like American values. Like we just don't believe in making higher education accessible to people because we like having a classist society where you can feel better than people because you got in certain degrees and quote unquote proved yourself. I think that's so real. And we see it so much in our lives in Manhattan too, where like people live in Manhattan and we're just in our elitist bubble. Yeah. I think we feel comfortable being with people in our like socioeconomic class, even if we're not conscious of it. Yeah. And progressives like are definitely guilty of this too, where like we go to restaurants that have a vibe that we like and vibe with. And what is that? It's usually kind of bougie or kind of like hip and not that accessible price-wise or location-wise to a lot of people who don't have college degrees. And there's just that class structure embedded even when we don't realize it or don't think about it. I think one thing that came out of the pandemic was people really understanding what shop local meant and really sticking to that. Yeah. Shopping locally is definitely really important as long as it's not like people were buying so many like black owned business products back in June and then just completely stop. It really is something that we should be conscious of. But segueing, I guess we can maybe talk about minimum wage because one of Biden's proposals is a $15 minimum wage, I believe. Oh, yes. As an economist, what are your thoughts on that? You know, there's the people arguing that it's going to wreck the economy. It's going to kill tons of jobs. Do you buy that? Honestly, it really does depend on the location. First of all, $15 as a minimum wage is not enough to live anywhere still. Yeah. In LA, it's been at $15 and like, that's great. But like, that's definitely not enough for LA and it's not enough for Las Vegas. It's not enough in in cities where things are cheaper but you know like small business owners and managers are going to be self-serving and if you have to raise the minimum wage to that amount especially if you have to double it in some states that does provide an incentive to lay off people and i think what they need to do with this federal minimum wage raise is to do the same thing that they did for the ppe loans for small businesses over covid where your business gets this loan if it also keeps everyone on its payroll after COVID, like giving companies an incentive if they still retain their entire workforce through a tax or something else that would offset the the gains that they would have to pay to people's wages. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Cause like Trump tax cuts gave 1.5 trillion to wealthy and large corporations. So if you just redirected those tax cuts to small businesses that were struggling to keep people on payroll because of this minimum wage hike. Wouldn't that solve some of our problems? Yeah. (laughs) So much of this money can be redirected. And I think, I think it's just a terrible excuse, like give small businesses aid. if, If that's the problem. Exactly. 
the economist argument of like this is going to create fewer jobs can be so easily addressed and so easily prevented. I think what's more complicated is the definition of a business that has to do this because I know even in California, the minimum wage, it doesn't apply to small businesses with under like X number of employees. Also undocumented workers, a big proportion of people who are hurting the most from whatever wage is the legal minimum are still undocumented workers. And that's a huge sector of workers in the U.S., even more than our data shows because they literally are not in the data. But that and the fact that small businesses under a certain number of employees are not subject to the minimum wage requirements. So there's still going to be a lot of people who don't get a $15 wage increase. So I would love to see some policies that could also just make it more universal, even though I just, I don't even have a solution for that because that's so hard to enforce. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, the other thing I was thinking about is when people complain about this hurting the economy, like what are they really referring to? Like if you're referring to, the return on the S&P, I mean, sure, maybe you're not giving as much back to shareholders if you're paying, you know, your lowest earning workers a little bit more. Shareholders will get over it. Walmart stocks are going to tank because they have to pay their workers more. I mean, they might tank for a day or like a week, but they will always go back higher than ever. Like companies might experience a dip in their stocks. But at the same time, if it's happening to every single company in the U.S., then what are people going to do? Just pull out their socks out of everywhere? Like, because it's universal, I think that's actually good because it won't make people as discriminatory to where they decide to invest or not invest. And shareholders really can't say much if it's a federal policy. Yeah. I mean, really the hope is like, overall, it's going to be better for the nation when you have more people living above the poverty line. Exactly. That also means more consumption. Like people who get paid more can buy more th- products. And in turn, mm-hmm. that could actually create more jobs because there's going to be more demand for consumer goods, which means companies will need more labor to produce those goods. That's the whole idea of stimulus as well. So the economics there, especially in a weak economy right now, I think right now is the perfect time to use a lot of federal spending to make policies like this that benefit workers because that will actually make the economy stronger if we yeah. do it in a time like this. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see what else Biden is doing. He has a policy for an eight-year path to citizenship um, for the 11 million immigrants who are currently here without legal status. So I think this is a huge, huge move in terms of immigration law. Thank God. That would be so great. If you guys haven't checked out David Kim's episode, it was one of the first two or three episodes that this podcast uploaded. He is an undocumented American um, who doesn't have his papers in the U.S. And he talks a lot about that and how impossible it is to get citizenship. Um, but you still have to pay taxes, but you don't get to vote and you don't get social security and you don't get a passport to travel. And it's such bullshit because he is the most like as American as anyone else has been here all his life. And there definitely needs to be a path to citizenship for more people in this country. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think it's just so many people don't personally know people here who don't have legal status. And so there's just all these like falsehoods around it. But it just makes so much more sense to put them on a path to citizenship. 
Yeah. Especially if they're already having to pay taxes. Exactly. It's so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I like these policies so far. Yeah. What else is here? He had he had a really interesting name to his plan. Build back better, I think. Yes, it's the build back better agenda. Um, which also reminded me of Melania's Be Best campaign. Do you remember this? No. It was just like the strangest name. I think I think that might have been like her anti-bullying campaign, but it literally was like Be Best. And everyone oh. was like, that's um, interesting grammar that you chose. Dang, I thought it was like <laughs> a white supremacy thing. Like, <laughs> but at least it's for anti-bullying. Wow. Um, but yeah, so Biden has this build back better agenda. Um, and his fourth pillar on there finally addresses racism and closing the racial wealth gap. So he wants to expand affordable housing to those populations, invest in Black, Latino, and Native American entrepreneurs and their communities, um, advance policing and criminal justice reform. But it was all extremely vague when I was reading it. Like, I have no idea how he's actually going to do any of these things. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Like, what are his plans to do that? Because that sounds really hard. Yeah. So on his website, it says specifically Biden will, and then it goes on to list the vaguest things I've ever heard. Um, He says reform opportunity zones to fulfill their promise. I think opportunity zones are like economically distressed areas, but what on earth are you going to do to make them fulfill their promise? And what is their promise? Exactly. Um, (laughs) Then he says, support second chances for economic success. I tried to Google second chances, like maybe that's a thing. Nothing came up. So I have no idea what that is. Then he says, strengthen the Federal Reserve's focus on racial economic gaps. Like, I'd love to see what the Federal Reserve has planned for this. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what's so dangerous about Biden, because complacent people are going to be satisfied with this because that pillar sounds great. It's only right. when you really dig down to what the policy is that re- you realize it's just empty statements. And I feel like Biden is all about that, like making empty statements without promises or concrete plans beneath them, because it's so much easier to say that you're going to reform, get rid of the racial wealth gap than it actually is. Right. That's an issue that this country has been trying to solve for the past, for a sense like emancipation, I guess, which is actually not that long ago, but still <laughs> it's, no. uh, yeah, that's, that's cute. I know. I feel like this lack of specificity is just something we see constantly when it comes to like these diversity initiatives, even like in the workplace, in different organizations. You're just like, okay, but how are you going to do that? Oh my God. Yeah. Don't even get me started on the workplace thing. It's like workplaces are all <laughs> about this now after Black Lives Matter happened. They're like, okay, we all have diversity workforces. And if you look into these diversity workforces, I won't name names, but a lot of these companies have fully white diversity workforces. They hire new people who are white men on the or white women on these diversity workforces. And it's like, dude, just hire more people of color. Yeah. <laughs> Do that first. Right. Um, like there's no way you're going to be able to make like specific actions unless you have people of color who have gone through the experiences who can tell you. Exactly. 
Yeah. Like, there just needs to be more people of color everywhere in every level of business so that they can actually start like making systemic change from inside because you have the people there who have people of color's interests in mind. Yeah. Anything else you're hoping to see from Biden in the first hundred days or the next four years? I want him to not be afraid of politics in his first 100 days and mm-hmm. use this time that is such an opportune time for any president to do whatever the hell he needs to do and his constituents want him to do without, like we can address unification the rest of his four years or whatever the hell. That's going to be require conversations and ongoing work, but don't let that impact the policies that you make. Just get stuff done, be, be specific. <laughs> I think the other thing he's promised is the hundred million vaccines in a hundred days, mm-hmm. which would be amazing. And I'm really hoping he can do this. I mean, I, he actually did say like creating mobile vaccination centers and just, you know, finding any space and anyone who can t- put a vaccine into someone and figuring it out. So that's yeah. what I'm really hoping for. Biden, get everyone vaccinated by the summer. Like, I mean, I don't even know if we have enough doses for that after what yeah. like, did with the orders. I know. I I really hope he loosens all these restrictions around who can get a vaccine and when. Because I feel like we have, like, such a white glove approach to it right now. Like, you have to show ID. Like, you have to give your information. No. Anyone who wants a vaccine, just show up. Give them the vaccine. Like, I get that we want to have all these, like, vaccine passports and stuff at some point. People are dying right now. We don't have time for like administrative shit. People want to walk in and get the vaccine. Just give it to them. Exactly. So and put hopefully there's a turnaround. Because in places outside of LA and New York, in the South and like states that have more rural areas, there's so much segregation and things are set up in a way where like people of color and like black folks live in communities where they have to drive like so long to get to any of these centers that give vaccines or to even get a driver's license or to get ID. And it's like cities in America are literally set up so that discrimination can happen without it looking like it happens just by mm-hmm. nature of like where people of color live and where um, administrative things happen. So unless like people start placing the vaccines everywhere, it's still going to be really, really hard for a lot of people to even like access a center. Yeah. I was reading this article. I think it was in the Atlantic And it went into how the Bay Area did such a good job of handling um, COVID cases. And they, the hypothesis is basically like, it's not because they were aggressive with the shutdowns. It's because the health community and the medical community over there has such close ties to the neighborhoods of all socioeconomic levels. So even if you go into communities where you know, there's maybe not a lot of native English speakers. Um, they still have organizations in every community that have ties to those communities. So people trust their medical professionals. They were able to get the news out. They were able to encourage testing, things like that. Wow. So I think like the grassrootsness of it was really important for them. That's really cool. That's going to be hard outside of the Bay Area and like New York City, grassroots. I think, and I think it's mostly because like San Francisco just has this long history of helping everyone, um, especially the homeless. Like they're, they have so many policies in place to still have outreaches to them. 
you know, people who might not have IDs, who might not have homes, who might not have ways to get places, all of that. Like they all, they always think to build them into their policies, basically. That's a great example for like other cities, big or small to follow. Yeah. Well, so we covered a lot about Biden and obviously we're very excited to not have Trump anymore. Super curious to hear you guys' thoughts on these topics as well and any reactions to Biden's proposals. Be sure to message the podcast and follow on Instagram, on our website, on Twitter, and make sure to subscribe to this podcast and give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, And yeah, really excited to have Sonia going forward. Any last thoughts? Um, Yeah, just to our listeners, if you have any thoughts about anything we've said, um, if there's any topics you guys want to hear about next time, would love to hear from you guys. All right. Well, we will see you guys in the next episode. And in the next episode, we'll have a guest. Um, So look forward to that. Make sure to subscribe because we have so much exciting content coming up. I'm super excited. So yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.